the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is Kelly McConaughey. She is a physician's assistant at Metro Infectious Disease Consultants in Chicago, and also an orchestral flautist with the Chicago Citywide Symphony Orchestra. Yes, you heard that correctly, medical field and orchestral flautist. That is an indeed interesting combination, and that's why I wanted to have Kelly on the show. She graduated with a flute performance degree from Arizona State University, with some pre-med as well. Decided to pursue the medical dream, received her master's degree in physician's assistance from Rosalind Franklin School of Medicine in Chicago, and then immediately had an opportunity pop up to get back into music. Kelly and my wife Amanda have been close friends for almost 30 years, and we always have good times when we get together. Kelly, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Brett. So for those of us who don't know, and I had to ask you this question a while back myself, what exactly <laughs> is a physician's assistant on the doctor, PA, nurse, like on all that scale of stuff, what exactly, where does a PA fit on that scale? So the best way to describe a PA is we are part of the medical team. So we work directly with a physician uh, or several physicians in my case. Um, most of us work pretty independently uh, throughout our days. Um, some of us convene with our physicians. Uh, for me, I was working directly with surgeons when I first started, um, but I was on my own for most of the time. I would see patients in the ER, in the ICU, on the floor. I'd evaluate them. I'd work them up for the day, adjust some of their medications if needed, and then talk with my team, either give report to the other PAs that I worked with or talk directly with any of the physicians that I worked with. And we would really just continually evaluate the patients together throughout the day. So the best part about the team-based approach is that you are really giving good care to patients. You've got a lot of details that you're managing. But to get back to your direct question, the way that we fit into the team, um, you know, I work directly with the nurses each day, talking about our patients, uh, getting updates on how they're doing, because the nurses are with the patients each and every day. Um, and I'm adjusting orders based on what I see, what they see, what we all talk about. Um, and so really with the PA, uh, one of my professors, one of my favorite things that I really liked, the way that she explained it is, PAs have a master's in medicine. So while we have a shorter program that we do, we're really trained in the medical model the same way that physicians are, but we learn mainly on the job. Okay. So we have the two full years of school that we do, but really the learning curve is so great once you're done with school and you're practicing. So 
I think the great thing about the PA profession is that we are really covering a lot of the holes that you see in medicine right now, because we're able to fit, we're trained to fit ourselves into those areas and really support the medical team as a whole. And that's what I really like about being a PA. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I asked everyone this question, but this will probably be pretty interesting given the two sides, the two paths that you've kind of been on. on. Um, So what did you want to be when you grew up? So oddly enough, I always said that I wanted to be a teacher when I grew up. Okay. Um, And I, my mom will tell you that I was adamant about that. Um, But one thing that you can ask Amanda about is that, you know, there's no surprise that I went into medicine because I, I was a caregiver from day one. I mean, anytime Amanda and her sister were sick, I was the one who was constantly telling them that they needed to stay hydrated and that they (laughs) needed to stay warm. I was the one, I was the five-year-old wrapping them up in blankets and bringing them tea. I was like a tiny little old grandmother. So, I mean, it's no surprise that I went where I did. Um, But yeah, I, I, for a short time with music was able to teach. And then I taught preschool for a little while, but that's one of the things that I also really love about what I do is teaching people more about their own healthcare and helping them be more empowered. And I think that I, I still got to carry that interest into what I do, but you know, that's where I started. Okay. So talk a little bit about the decision to go to college for flute performance. Um, that's not something you hear a lot of people say they're yeah. going to pursue. Um, you've got some yeah. pre-med uh, kind of mixed in there. So uh, kind of how'd you end up going down that road after high school? Well, you know, you hear about a lot of these people who have the parents who force them into, you know, the medical careers or the science, even though they really want to go into the arts. But I mean, I grew up with a mother who was a ballerina. And so I kind of had, I wouldn't say it was pressure, but I really had a lot of encouragement to follow those artistic dreams more so than I think a lot of my friends did. And I mean, I think Amanda had that encouragement too. Mm-hmm. Um And I just, music was something that was so fulfilling to me. I, you know, I had to practice and I had to work hard at it, but it was also one of those things that just fit. It felt right. And it was something that even though I had to work towards it, I knew what I was doing. And, you know, I had the, people talk about raw talent and I don't know whether I have talent or not, (laughs) but it was something that came naturally to me. Okay. So... When I was looking at going to school, I couldn't fathom not doing music. And so that was really the direction that I went, even though I knew that I loved science and I knew that I loved caregiving. Um, But, you know, music was just such a big part of my life because I was in that arts community with all the dancers and the musicians. And it was it was kind of like riding that wave at that time. Okay, so you went into college, you were confident about music, you knew you could do it, you knew it was something you wanted to do, but you still decided to sprinkle some pre-med in there. How'd that end up? Hedging, yeah, your, you hedging know, your bets or just trying to, <laughs> just in case? or. Well, I think at that time I had this dream that, you know, I was going to go to school for music and I was going to be a performer and I was going to be a private teacher. Um, but for some reason in my mind, I thought that I could do that on the side along with science. And I had this picture of myself in a lab during the day and then either teaching or playing with a group at night. And once I really got into that world, I found that that was not really realistic. And I found that I hated being in a lab. I hated doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I mean, I know there are people out there who love that. Um, But what I really, really loved were all of my biology courses, including dissection, which is what 
probably bred my love for surgery in the first place. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I was lucky. I worked in the biology administration office at ASU. And so I had access to all of the biology advisors all day um, when I was on shift. And I sat down for lunch one day with one of the advisors who was kind of asking me a little bit about my plan. And she suggested that I look into the PA profession. And she described it at that point and talked about how PAs are really trained to treat the whole person and the person in general. And the background that you have to do to get into PA school really reflects that. And that's when I started to really fall in love with what this could be. And so that's when I changed kind of the course of what I was doing. I had all of the biology courses. This is my background. I had all the chemistry courses Mm -hmm. because at at one point I was kind of thinking about pre-med. even though I was more biology to begin with, and then really started directing it towards PA school. Okay. Okay, so you graduate, you get the job at the hospital, neurosurgery and trauma. And mm-hmm. uh, is that what you wanted to do, or is that just the available PA job at the time? How did you end up going down that road? So I knew that I wanted to do something in emergency medicine and trauma. Um, what I'd actually thought I was going to be doing was uh, burn surgery. And that wasn't really something that panned out. Um, and I was looking for jobs and this one comes up and what I did before school, I actually worked for a traumatic brain injury clinic and uh, we did long-term rehab. And so this job shows up and it was listed as neuro slash trauma. And I'm thinking, this is absolutely perfect for me. And so I apply and I find out that, you know, um, it's mainly neurosurgery, but we would also cover trauma because most of our neurosurgery patients were traumatic head injuries. Um, So there was a lot of crossover with both teams. So I go in and um, the more they described this job to me, the more perfect it sounded. It, It was everything I loved about trauma, but also it had the neurosurgery to it, which was the main component of this position. And neuro has always been one of my two loves, uh, the other actually being infectious disease. Hmm. Um, So, but the, the thing with that life is you're working nights, you're working a lot of weekends, Mm -hmm. and you're working many, many, many hours. And while I love both of those things, I knew that that was not a pace that I could keep up forever, and really have the fulfilling life that I wanted for myself after going back to school and spending the time um, to really improve my career. So it it was kind of a difficult decision. um, But I decided that it was something I was going to be moving on from eventually, even though, you know, it's something that I've loved for a very long time. Okay. So then you start looking around, you find a job with infectious disease. And when I hear the words infectious disease, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is outbreak and Kevin Spacey getting poked with a needle through his suit. And, um, you know, every, all those movies, someone ends up with a tear in their suit and it's all over. Yeah. Are your days, you know, are your days spent in a constant state of near panic trying not to die? No, no. And in fact, that's actually a question that I get constantly is how often do you wear a hazmat suit? And yeah, the how how often do actually, you almost die? <laughs> No, um, never. <laughs> so, um, at most, I have to wear an N95 respirator if I go into a room with a patient with tuberculosis. Okay. Um, but even then, that's not very, very common. Um, I've seen that 
once since I've been working in infectious disease, um, and granted, I just started again this month, um, but even when I was doing my infectious disease elective in school, um, I didn't see that at all. So this has been the first time in my medical career that I've actually seen that. Okay, okay. So, yeah. So I know you've only been there for, you know, just a little bit this month, but what's a basic day like as a PA in infectious disease? So it's not actually that different uh, from my life in neurosurgery and trauma. Um, really, what we do is, especially in the hospital setting, is you get there and you round on your patients and you see what's going on. You get updates from the nurses, um, from the nursing staff, from the primary physicians, the primary PAs, whoever's taking care of that patient that day. Um, you go in, you examine the patient, you talk to the patient, you get an update. If they're, you know, someone that you have seen uh, previously, if they're not a brand new patient to your service. Um, and then you go through all of the labs and everything that's uh, been collected that morning. And really, it's just getting an update every day. That's what we call them progress notes for a reason, because we're following the progress every progress. day. Yep. Exactly, exactly. Making adjustments. Um, a lot of times, really, what you're doing is you're talking to the patient and explaining what you're doing, even if you explained it the day before and the day before that, and even if you haven't changed any of the treatment plan. There's a lot of anxiety in healthcare, especially on the part of the patient, because you know they're they're sitting in this bed in this room all day long, and it you start to feel hopeless and you start to feel like you're losing control. So one of the things that we do, especially as PAs, is we really try to educate the patients and bring them up to speed so they feel that they are more in control of their own health and that they're a part of the plan. So a great deal of my time is actually spent talking with patients directly. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and then, you know, you're just, you're following up on everything that all the changes that you've made, everything that you're done and communicating with your team and the teams that are all taking care of these patients. Okay. So that's, that's a basic day for me. It just includes a lot fewer traumas coming through the door that, you know, you have to run to the ER. So. Right, right. All right. So you've got your career on track. You're ready to roll. You get, you know, go in there. And then how does this symphony thing kind of come back up again? You know, here we are doing one thing. Music comes up again. So, I mean, music wasn't completely gone throughout all of grad school. It was something that I used only on my own and very very infrequently to really get through a lot of the stressful times throughout grad school. It was, it was one of those releases for me. That was something I was going to ask was um, after Amanda and I went to your senior recital, how many times did you touch a flute between then and your first rehearsal with the uh, yeah. orchestra? <laughs> so I, I took a pretty long period of time off in between my senior recital and uh, when I picked my flute back up again. And the thing that actually got me to bring my flute back out was when I was teaching preschool. And uh, again, I wanted to bring classical music to that area of my life okay. and teach kids about it. So and that got me involved in another community group when I was in Michigan, a community band. Um, and that was when I really started to pick it back up again. But that was pretty short lived because like you said, I then moved to Chicago and then started PA school. Right, right. Um, which didn't really afford a lot of extra time to pursue some of these things and pursue them in a group like this. So, and I played a little bit while I was in school. Uh, one of the great things about Roslyn is they really try to support all of their students. It's only graduate medical degrees at this university. Okay. So we have a lot of resources and one of those resources was a music room. 
And so I could go to this room anytime I wanted free access to students. And usually there weren't that many people in there, um, if anyone at all. And I would just bring my flute and bring some etudes or whatever I felt like playing that day, spend an hour playing. And it was really just time for me, time to get away from thinking about anatomy and physiology, thinking about, you know, whatever cardiology or infectious disease unit we had going on that week. But uh, previously I was working in neurosurgery and trauma. And the, one of the trauma surgeons I started to become close to, she was a great mentor. And then um, one morning after a long night, one of the nurses that we work with said, hey, Amy, did you know that Kelly has a degree in music? Because everyone in medicine thinks it's hilarious that I come from music and now into medicine. Right, right. And so when they find that out, that's their favorite little tidbit to talk about. And Amy her, you know, it had been a 24 hour shift for her and she was ready to go to sleep and her eyes just brightened up and she <laughs> grabbed me by the shoulders and goes, you need to come play in symphony with me. And, you know, it is eight in the morning after we worked all night and I'm going, what are you talking about? And so for the next few weeks, every time I saw Amy, um, she said, so when are you going to come play in symphony with me? When are you going to come play in symphony with me? And so finally, after a couple of months of going, oh, Amy, you know, I'm working nights. I don't think I can do it. Um, I, I decided that I was going to do it. I decided I was going to find a way because she was just so passionate about it. And the way that she described the group just made me want to be with those people and making music and creating art. Okay, interesting. So right back to where you uh, were when you were in college and didn't plug back into that. Yeah. that that's awesome. Yeah. Is this... Uh, is this like just community musicians or are these professionals or, you know, what kind of citywide orchestra is this? So it's a really good mix of both. Um, I mean, to my left in the group um, is a flute player who works in change management at a major corporation downtown. And to my right in the group is a professional musician who, um, you know, just finished her schooling with Northwestern. She actually taught out on the West Coast in California for a little while and is now back in Chicago. So, I mean... The great thing about this group is the wide variety of talent that you have, and then the wide variety of additional talents that you see in a lot of these people. So mm -hmm. it's funny, you find a lot of scientists and a lot of medical professionals who are also musicians. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's Amy, she's the trauma surgeon, she plays viola, and then I think there's another family medicine physician in the group. Um, and then there are nurses and there are respiratory therapists. But you know what, there's also people who are artists in a different sense. So we have someone who also works for the Field Museum in our okay. group. And uh, we also have a cartographer. And I just learned so much from these people, not just in our rehearsals and working together as musicians, but also outside of this. I mean, the fellowship that I found with this group, I think is nearly as fulfilling as being able to make music again with such talented people. Interesting, interesting. So do you guys do concerts around the city or is this a nonprofit thing where you're playing at schools for children, things like that? I mean, what's kind of the goal of the citywide orchestra? So it's actually one of the older community orchestras in the city of Chicago, and it is directly related to the Chicago Park District. So okay. everything that we do is through Jefferson Park. Uh, they provide our rehearsal space in this beautiful old building on the park, um, in the park rather, and um, they provide some services for us. And then also we perform free community concerts in the same space. Um, okay. 
that's one of the amazing things about Chicago. We have so many community and public spaces that you're allowed to use, hmm. um, and that they work with um, they work with a lot of different groups like this to make sure that you're bringing classical music to the community, and it's free classical music. So one of the um, major missions of the group is really to promote a love of classical music in a time when it's not as prevalent in a time when it's not as easy to see when orchestras are really struggling financially, the professional right. orchestras. And so it's, it's hard to get a ticket if, you know, you are a student, if you're younger, if you are, if you don't have the income that would allow you to enjoy that, something that's been really reserved for, you know, higher socioeconomic right, classes. Right. And this is something that really brings that out to the community. And I actually saw, this is what I love about this city. I got to see Chicago Symphony Orchestra with several of my citywide symphony orchestra members. And it was one of their community outreach programs. And it really showed me how important community outreach and classical music is. And we went to go see them because they were playing Beethoven's Fifth. And that was next up on our concert. So we wanted to see, you know, what the pros sound like. And so at the end of the concert, they play the first few downbeats of Beethoven's Fifth. And this is a large church filled with 3,000 people, and oh, they wow. all start clapping. That's a lot of people. And it is. And within four notes, it, they, were, they had a standing ovation. And the conductor, uh, Ricardo Muti of the Symphony, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, he turns around and he is just laughing. I have never seen this hmm. in all of my time as a musician. But it's a free concert that they brought out to the south side of Chicago. And I have never seen people appreciate classical music more. Wow. And, you know, they they brought the CSO um, to a full dead stop at the beginning of Beethoven. They were so appreciative of what they were hearing. And I mean, that right there showed me how important it is for us to continue to bring this music to the community. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like it's important for you to keep doing it for yourself as well. I'm sure it's cathartic given the, um, you know, the demands of your job and the mental toll that it takes. So I've always wondered, you know, Policemen, firemen, doctors, nurses, you know, PAs, people that deal with, you mentioned trauma very directly, um, people that see mm. this messed up stuff, you know, how you go home, you know, don't have nightmares, you know, how you deal with processing these things that you see and dealing with people's families that have had this happen to their loved one. What, yeah. I mean, it's got to be difficult. So what's it like trying to go home, unplug from that? You know, it's not your fault that these things happen to these people, but it's got to affect you. I mean, how do you kind of move forward in having a normal life outside of seeing these things happen? Yeah, you know, that is one of the biggest challenges in medicine, especially when you work in a field where you have a lot of acutely ill patients. And um, I can think of a specific instance where it was just a really tough weekend, um, really sad case. We had a young patient. Um, and by the end of the weekend, that patient did not make it. And okay. it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's coming, um, and you do what you can to make the patient and the family comfortable. Um, but there's only so much that you can do. And one of the things that a lot of the physicians that I've worked with and specifically that one that night taught me is that it's okay to cry with the families. Um, it, it's something that is not only helpful to them to see that you are invested in the case, but it's also helpful to you because you can't carry that with you 
it's it's going to build up and it's going to eat at you. Right. And I think that's one of the things that that music has really been helpful with for me because you know, I have rehearsals on Monday night and I, I worked all weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And I was at this bedside almost all weekend. And it, it was a terrible thing to watch and a mm-hmm. terrible thing to experience. But I got to orchestra Monday night and that was the time that allowed me to really release all those things and look around me and see the people around me and see that life keeps going. Mm-hmm. And it, it was cathartic for me to really be able to create art with those people at that time when it had been such a horrible weekend for me. But it was also, it was good to see that there were people that were happy and had good things going on in their life. Right. Because it kind of pulls you out of that and reminds you that life keeps going. Right for those of us in medicine, and we have to step away from it. Wow. And you have to find a way to balance that empathy without letting it completely take over. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, you know, and that, again, that's why I wanted to have you on the show, having two dreams, choosing one over the other. And then, you know, once you finally get plugged into the career of that, almost immediately jumping back into the other thing, but as a catharsis, you know, as a yeah. way to release these things that you see and these things you have to deal with and be your be yourself you know do the things you have to do to nourish your own soul i mean that's that's what the themes of that's the themes of the show right there so i think that's really interesting what have what's been some of your biggest triumphs you know either music or medicine or both you know what are you really proud of so far um well i guess medicine it's it's really a more general thing it's not well something specific but something that i I'm actually kind of proud of that patients tell me a lot of the time is that I'm able to explain things in the way that they can understand um, and a way that gives them the language to be able to ask more questions. And I think as someone who always wanted to be a teacher, that's, that's really exciting for me because that means that I am reaching them somehow and I'm giving them the power to take control of their health. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as music goes, um, something that's been one of the more exciting things that I've done in the last year is, and it's it's directly related again to you know the Chicago Park District and bringing classical music into the community and the great musicians that I'm surrounded by all the time, um, is I got a chance to be part of the Chicago Philharmonic side-by-side concert this summer. And that's a program where uh, there, again, with the Chicago Park District, um, Professional orchestral members from Chicago Phil, and including their director, they come out to three different concerts a year in three different major parks. And uh, again, with these beautiful field houses and these beautiful venues, and they sit side by side with amateurs. You can anyone can sign up to do this. Um, and we play. I mean, we played Swan Lake. We played some of the greats. We played some marches. It was something that. I think everybody in the audience seemed to enjoy, but for me, the thrill was getting to sit next to the second chair of the Chicago Phil. And um, then another, another lady from Indiana that I didn't know I met that day. Um, And the Chicago Phil player turned to us and said, you know, this has been one of the most fun concerts that I've done this season because you two were both just so locked in and so tight with everything we've been playing. And I think the lady from Indiana and I looked at each other and we both said, it, it's just because we're so excited to be here and it's so much fun to play with you. Um, so that's been one of the 
the more fun things that I've gotten to do. I don't know if that's a triumph or not, no, but sure, it was sure. something. Yeah, it was something that really uh, it filled my heart that day to be a part of that. So it's something I haven't gotten to be a part of in a long time. All right, all right. We're all about authenticity, so I can't ask you about some yeah. triumphs without some disappointments. Uh, okay. Anything, <laughs> anything, you know, failures, disappointments, anything you wish would have worked out differently or anything like that? You know, I, I mentioned earlier that I thought I was going to go into burn surgery, and right. I had um, – I had this this picture in my head, um, and I, I was pretty close to it too. Uh, I did a rotation with a hospital that most people would recognize um, from the TV show ER. Okay. So uh, Cook County Hospital, it's now known as Stroger. Um, I got to do a rotation there, and it was just it was fabulous, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. And I was there for many minutes every single day. Um, I would get to the hospital at 445, 5 a.m. And I mean, I've known you for a long time, Brett, and mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever known me to be a morning person, but <laughs> I was awake and ready to go for this. It was just one of my favorite things. Wow. And I mean, the great thing about burn care is it really encompasses a lot about acute medicine, about intensivist care. And I mean, I loved the physician that I was working with, Dr. Poulakidis, and we worked hard to try to get me in and try to create a position. And he actually wanted to, he'd been wanting to bring PAs onto a service for quite some time um, because you work closely with fellows and you work closely with residents and you work closely with the trauma team. And it's just, it's this great team-based approach. But um, the challenge is with county hospitals um, and government hospitals in general, unless there are PAs already established, it's very, very difficult to create some of these positions okay. um, because there are, there's the bureaucracy that's already set up in these systems and they don't really change very frequently. So that, gotcha. I think that's been one of the, the more disappointing things in my career was missing out on getting to work with that team. But mm. I'm so thankful that I got to learn from them. And I think Probably about once a shift. Oh, thank God for Dr. Polakitis and everything I learned at the Burn mm -hmm. Unit because it has traveled into so many parts of my career. And, you know, I'm thankful at least I got that short chance to be with them. All right. All right. Going forward, how do you define success for yourself? Um, right now, really, for me, it's about finding enjoyment in my career every day and being able to get out of bed and be excited to go to work every day. Oh, for and sure. it, I mean, since I have been practicing as a PA, um, I don't think I've had many days where I haven't been happy to be going in. I mean, it's long hours, it's grueling, but it's still, it is absolutely what I love and absolutely what I want to be doing for a very, very long time. So and that's awesome because I, there's so many people that, you know, you don't really know what your dreams are going to be like until you actually get plugged in and start doing them. You know, there are there's tons of yeah. stories of people, attorneys, teachers, doctors, you know, all manner of things where I, I thought I wanted to do this. I went to school for this. I did it out of school. I start doing it. I hate it, you know. So it's cool yeah. to see, you know, I thought I would like this thing. I went to school for it. I do, in fact, like this thing. It's really awesome. That It's cool to yeah. watch. And I mean, you have those fears all the way through school thinking, you know, oh, gosh, I just went into, you know, all this debt to do this program, just spent <laughs> all this time. Yeah. And it's. I mean, it's that's satisfying coming out, but it, it's fulfilling to really enjoy being with the people that I'm with every day and being able to practice medicine in the way that, you know, this profession allows me to. All right. If you could go back to the start of the journey, anything you tell yourself? Um, so, you know, I've thought about that a lot. 
And um, I was attending the opera because, you know, Chicago offers so many opportunities for seeing, you know, opera and symphony and ballet. But I was at the opera a few weeks ago with a friend. And I said to him, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I would do a music history degree. Okay. And he said to me, you know, you don't have to do that again. You can learn that now and you can continue to, you know, grow that passion now. And I thought about it for a few weeks. And just within the last couple of weeks, you know, as I was thinking about things that we would talk about, I realized that I would not do that over again because I would pick the exact same thing that I did. I would do performance with music Mm -hmm. because I don't think if I had done music history, I would have felt as comfortable as I do now to start playing with this orchestra. And this orchestra has brought me so much joy in the last year and so many other opportunities, um, not just in music, but for fellowship as well. And I, I cannot say anymore that I would do things differently because it would not have brought me to the place that I am now. And I am so fulfilled having both science and art in my life in gigantic quantities. So I don't think there is anything that I would do differently. You know, I know this is radio, so the listeners can't see, but we're we're uh, video <laughs> chatting, and the smile on her face is legitimate. I mean, she is <laughs> the theme here. You know, the Maslow, the pyramid, the hierarchy of needs. She is at the peak. She, I can see on her face, describing this. You yeah, know, I, I am yeah. living. I am fulfilling my art and my science, and it's it's awesome to watch, Kelly. We've known yeah, each other a long time, you. and I'm I'm proud that you finally got yeah. here, and that you you're Thanks. doing it, loving it, enjoying it. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So for our listeners in the Chicago area, where can they see you in this orchestra? Where can they see Kelly on stage playing flute? So we are having our Christmas concert um, this December, and I'm just going to make sure I'm getting this date correct for you. Okay. Um, So on Sunday, December 11th uh, at 3 p.m. at the Jefferson Park Fieldhouse, we're performing our Christmas concert. So, and it's going to be a lot of uh, classic Christmas music that you will recognize, as well as some classical pieces that, you know, make our hearts go pitter-patter at this time of year. Um, so I, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but, you know, I know we're doing some Shostakovich and, um, you know, the classic sleigh bells that everybody loves at Christmas. Um, and it, it's just going to be a good concert. I mean, it's, you've got some of your hardcore classic pieces in there, but it is... It's sparkling, which is something that you want to hear during the holidays. And awesome. I think it's going to be, it's a fun concert, not just for us, but I think it's going to be a fun concert for the community too. Awesome. Awesome. No, that's awesome to hear. So any last words of advice, life, art, creativity, medicine, uh, you know, wear sunscreen, wash your hands, you know, any <laughs> music, any advice? Uh, definitely wash your hands. I mean, I can't <laughs> not say that working in infectious disease, Okay. Uh, often wash your hands often with soap and warm water. Um, but I, I think my biggest piece of advice is, um, if you have two loves, don't discount one for the other. I mean, there, there are ways in which you can bring passions from two seemingly opposite areas into your life. I mean, I was going to say I've lived this dichotomy my entire life of science versus art, but Mm -hmm. I really think that they support each other. I think that, you know, um, I wouldn't have understood music as well if I didn't have an understanding of math. And, you know, I, I appreciate the beauty of everything that I see in science. So follow, even if they don't seem like they'd fit together, follow both those paths because you don't know where they're going to take you. For sure. If it's your life, if you want to do both of those things, you can do both of those things. 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Kelly, this is really fun. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Brett. Again, this is Kelly McConaughey with the Chicago Citywide Symphony Orchestra. Um, you can find their website, citywideorchestra.org. You can find her photos, tweets, videos at Kellery09, K-E-L-L-E-R-Y-09 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you have an infectious disease, you can find her at Metro Infectious Disease Consultants. <laughs> so uh, she will take good care of you. Um, she's got a great sense of humor. I can only imagine that translates to good bedside manner, and she'll uh, she'll make you feel comfortable and <laughs> and take care of your infectious disease. <laughs> this has been the Maslow Pete Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. You can find us on the web at themaslowpeat.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at the Maslow Pete for behind the scenes details, questions, polls, anything you want to say. Uh, go ahead and let us know. Like us on Facebook, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening.